Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. Welcome to Beyond the Summit, where we ditch the hiking trail for the uncharted path. We're about the raw journeys and unvarnished truths. Life's a climb, and there's always a higher peak. Your guide? It's me, David Wolf. So strap up your boots and grab your hiking stick as we adventure together each week Beyond the Summit. So this is episode number 12, and I've got Mr. Anthony Vela, known in some parts of El Paso, Texas as Big Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony is fresh off a new baby. Right, yes. Number four. What's her name? Number four. Her name is Luca. Luca with two Cs. Yeah. I saw that, and I'm like, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, so I am not going to try and butcher. She's she's so sweet. She's so yeah, sweet. Yeah. Baby and yeah, mom are both doing great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, baby was baby immediately came out with some sinus in, infection, but uh, and and so it made for a pretty rough first week with baby, just because she was so uncomfortable uh, at nighttime. But uh, since then, she's she's a hundred percent, and yeah, things are 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 great. It's just a matter of figuring out how the heck to to get into the swing of things <laughs> yeah, well this is number four for you right yeah yeah or and, and it seems like one to two seem to be the hardest transition once after three four <laughs> yeah they're just <laughs> you just you just tell them to fall in get into formation <laughs> yeah That's good. yeah so a uh, little recap for those of you that are listening that don't know who anthony is anthony uh anthony's got an amazing background um, military background, uh, like many of my friends became a paramotor pilot. And for those of you that don't know what a paramotor is, it's this thing you strap on your back, like a book bag, but it's got this big motor and a propeller and you attach yourself to a glider or a wing and you go fly around you run off the ground. Or if you've got weak knees and get a little bit older, like some of our friends who <laughs> can use a trike <laughs> yeah, or right. a wheel. And, uh, <laughs> Anthony went on to produce just an amazing YouTube channel. So you'll see in the comments uh, a link to his channel. If you're interested in learning more about Pure Motors, you can do that. Uh, he started a podcast of his own, which I have looked up to as I've uh, been producing this podcast, Beyond the Summit. Uh, and it's called the Pure Motor Podcast. He's been doing that for a couple of years. And uh, now he's recently started teaching in El Paso, Texas, his own school, which is called West Texas Paramotor. So nailed it. Everything. That's the end of the show. Thank you for joining <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, folks. <laughs> no, I wanted to get that out of the way because really this isn't the show so much anymore about paramotors, although 
as I've said before, a lot of my friends, people that are in my, my circles of influence are paramotor pilots. I wanted to talk more about Anthony's background because he has an amazing background. We've had a couple podcasts already uh, back in episode number five, which was called The Moment I Found Out I Had Cancer. Most of that was really talking, well, the whole thing was talking with Tim Gaskins, and most of it was really talking about his military, 25 years in the Marines. Uh, episode number seven and eight was with our friend Todd Scandred, who started Resurgence PPG, 18-year veteran of the Army. Army, What an amazing story, emotional story that was, where he talked about things that he saw. And Anthony is, is in a similar boat where, you know, we've talked a little bit in the past. What's interesting Hang on, because you may have to put a seatbelt on. Because every time I call Anthony for a quick one-minute conversation, what, no less than 45 minutes we're on the phone? Yeah, at least. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I do yeah. that much. <laughs> I don't like myself that much. No. <laughs> but see, that's, it starts off with, hey, uh, how do I hook up this microphone to these deep, deep conversations? And... I know, like many of our military heroes, they have seen things that they wouldn't wish their worst enemy to see. And that's kind of where this podcast is going to go, because just like with Todd's, you know, learning about what he saw in the military, hearing about he's, you know, have to endure the things he had to do. Holy cow, being in a hospital that was getting bombed at the same time that he was in the ICU. Crazy stuff. That's horrible, horrible stuff. And as I told my kids, you're going to listen to this podcast because you're going to have a new profound respect and love for those that served. And just like all of these uh, podcasts, they're here to help people that have been in that position or for people who know of other people that have been in that position so that we can all help each other. I mean, what an amazing episode we had last week with my friend Robin Sachs, who is a motivational speaker, talked about living stress-free. There's not a person that heard that episode that is not going to walk away with something. And that's what our hope is with every episode here too. And Anthony, uh, I'm I'm so glad that you decided to say yes to maybe opening up. Look, we're going to talk about some dark places, but we'll only go as far deep into those dark places that you say we're going to go. Okay, fair enough? Yeah, yep, you got it. I'm talking a lot. I never talk this much in my podcast. <laughs> You're going to be talking here in a lot. But I'm, I want to do one more thing before I... I really just start talking to you about some of, of what you saw in your military background. Um, I've never done this before, not on Beyond the Summit, never on the previous shows that I've hosted. I'm actually going to quote scripture because there's a very uh, more common a piece of scripture. And I, I, I heard it last week. And in thinking about this podcast, I thought of you. Okay. And here it is. It comes from Romans 5. A lot of people will know it as I read it. Through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also, but also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And the reason why I feel like that relate a lot to you is because you have gone through a boatload of suffering in your life, which produced a boatload of perseverance and a and character, and then into hope. 
because, wow, before this, we started recording, a little baby girl ran, not the baby, <laughs> a little girl ran yeah, in yeah. your room that you're she sitting a baby. in, <laughs> two-year-old girl, followed by her mother. And how could life be any better than that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep hearing people say that, uh, enjoy the moment, you know, usually, you know, the, the older friends in my life, uh, and, and like maybe, maybe in their seventies or something like that, they just say, just freeze this moment. <laughs> and, and sometimes in that moment, it feels like, uh, I want to get to the other side. Um, so it's pretty interesting. I was thinking about it when you were, uh, reading that scripture, it was, I, I chuckled because I was thinking George Lucas must have stolen part of that scripture when, when Yoda says suffering leads to hate, hate leads to something and something leads to the dark side. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wow, this is the opposite. Like the, the, the scripture is the path, you know, to, to becoming stronger. And, uh, but, but it, I, I suppose in the wrong way, like to tie it back in, sometimes suffering can lead people to a really bad place where they don't recover. So I guess it's, uh, especially good to, lean into that scripture and, uh, make, make something positive out of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. while I won't talk about religion so much on this podcast because everybody has different views, I won't hide my religion, my religious beliefs either, but yeah. I, I, I do recall back on that episode with, uh, Tim, he said so many men, there wasn't really women in, in the military back then, but so many men came to know God right then and there in the battlefields because they never believed them before. But when, when the, the crap hit the fan, boy, did they start believing quick? Yeah. I, I assume there's some, some truth to that. I, I think that anybody who's probably teetering on the line of, of religious, uh, views, but has doubts, uh, assuming they come from a background of Christianity, then they'll probably in, in that moment of desperation, cling to whatever they have because there really isn't much in those instances where you feel like death is right around the corner. So of course it, it's going to push you really hard to, to, uh, find God, um, in those moments. Yeah. I, I come from a, uh, religious background. My dad was Catholic and, or is Catholic. He doesn't practice, but my mom is, is Christian non-denominational. She grew up, I think in like Lutheran and, and, or Protestant or some, some sort of thing and eventually settled just with a non-denominational church, which I grew up going to my whole life. And, uh, I, I love the music. I love the energy and it feels, uh, wonderful, but I don't, I don't practice, um, religion now, but I do have, I have a, a, a big fascination, uh, with religion and, and, and I would never, I would never, um, uh, say that, say that it's inaccurate. I just, um, I don't practice. Uh, and so currently I just live by a, you know, uh, even, even though I, I'm positive that my mom would love to get me to go to church with her every Sunday, I, I, I think that so long as in the meantime, I uh, have very good morals and want to do right by others. Um, and, and just to choose, you know, a, a compass that, that leads me to doing the right thing over the easier thing or whatever it may be, then that's, um, good enough for now. And I know that, you know, people like my mom might not necessarily agree because you're either, you've either accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, 
or you haven't, and there's some pretty serious consequences, uh, for those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, no, uh, I, I, I'm, I, I'm very respectful of not, not just Christianity. I'm just so familiar with Christianity. Um, but, but having been to Afghanistan, um, and, and been immersed in a world that is entirely Muslim, then, uh, of course you see that in different parts of the world, there's different beliefs. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it, it's just it interesting. to make a whole religious name. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I didn't read just the scripture that I thought of you. <laughs> no, but it is interesting. It's it's totally interesting that that uh, yeah, in in those moments of desperation, yeah, absolutely. Um, that that people would uh, turn to God um, for 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 moments like that, and and to certainly pray like where they have never prayed before. You know. Yeah. When um when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A pilot. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I wanted to be a pilot and a and maybe a movie director. Um, I, I I've I've always had like this intense fascination for aviation, uh, specifically big planes. Like, don't get me wrong, I really love jets. Uh, I think they're they're cool to see at the air show, but it's more like commercial airline planes. Like like right now, the the seven eighty uh seven eighty seven Dreamliner is just so cool oh my gosh i always wanted to be a commercial airline pilot and then i also wanted to be uh like a director where um i would watch a lot of the behind the scenes of steven spielberg and and take my i I would secretly take my dad's camera when he'd go out on business trips and like get my friends together and be like all right we're gonna make a little a little war video uh and just kind of make like little special effects and and things like that so always fascinated with that but didn't get either ended up going towards the military which was honestly and ironically the last thing that i would have ever imagined doing like as a kid i had a, a, a actually a, a pretty intense phobia of being in the military like i had these reoccurring um scary thoughts of being drafted and maybe i watched too many war films but i was like oh my gosh that would be horrifying uh to be in the military and if i got drafted i'd run away and this is this is me as like a 12 year old you know (laughs) why did you decide to do it um so i ended up going to military school academically uh my my performance was super low like i i could get straight f's straight d's Uh, just tear your teachers weren't teaching you the way you need to be taught. That's all. You were brilliant. Maybe they just weren't finding the right way to teach you. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I uh, whenever I was given um, homework assignments or things like that, or I was very easily distracted and and I couldn't find any interest in doing those sorts of things. So I would just not do them, unfortunately. Which is interesting because all of our children now have like a honor roll, and it's it's like zero credit to me. Like for me, I'll have conversation with the kids. I feel like I, I talk to them about life and, and, you know, basically th- anything outside of academics. And then, uh, my wife, their mom, Leandra, she is, uh, she's like a scholar. <laughs> and, and so where, where I have like no strength in academics, uh, she excels like, and so it, it, it balances out really well. But so I ended up going to a, a military school in my senior year in high school 
um, because or else I wouldn't have graduated on time. So this place was called Grizzly Youth Academy, and it was in San Luis Obispo, California. And it was really intimidating because I had to leave home in Southern California and make this trip up Central California away from family. And we get like thrown into these old uh, World War II barracks. And uh, they have like classrooms at, like on this uh, military base. The, and, and somehow, somehow the National Guard, the National Guard gave um, this program. Somehow they combined the military, the actual military with education. Um, and, and basically it was accelerated courses, but it was harder, more challenging than anything I ever did in the army shy of, um, deployment. I mean, well, basically I'm comparing this military school to boot camp, basic training. Uh, yeah, no comparison. The military school was, uh, like shell shock. It was like, boom. Oh my gosh. This is insane madness. They'd wake you up every morning like banging on the steel uh, trash bins. They'd throw them across and like tip over all the bunk beds and just be screaming in your face. And, and yeah, you, you can't go home, you know, crying for mommy. Uh, so certainly toughened me up. Were you more of a smarty ass kid? Because it doesn't seem like you're a bad kid. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Like I don't, I don't have, uh, <laughs> what I don't, I, really I don't really said there's, you seem like a real smart ass. <laughs> you know, I I, to, I totally was, and maybe there's there's still that that side of me that absolutely still is. But but I mean, with maturity, I've I've been able to like know when and when not to. Um, Called marriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Same thing happened to me. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. So it it, it kind of uh it. it it put me into this, like, I, I have to do this or else these guys might kill me. Um, of course they wouldn't. And, and at the end it was, uh, uh, such a impactful experience that I decided to join the army as a helicopter pilot. Cause I, I ended up graduating with my high school diploma from this, uh, military school and the recruiters came out. And so we did our, we took the ASVAB, um, right that right there, you know, the ASVAB. No, I don't. It's so when you get into the military or when you uh, are in the process of getting into the military, every single service member has to take this ASVAB, which is a test that it's basically like a, what do you know, kind of test. And like, where are you uh, academically or, or just in uh, intelligent on an intelligence scale or something like that. Um, and so certain jobs in the military don't require you to be as intelligent, like for example, uh, infantry, which is ironic because infantrymen, uh, whether you're army or Marines, um, are the dumbest of the dumbest and the smartest of the smartest. So, so like I, I will, I will never yank anybody's chain. And I'm sure anybody who's been on your podcast with military experience before, if they're being honest, they will tell you that the infantry has the dumbest and the smartest people. Um, because so, so you don't have to be very smart to be infantry. Um, but, but the job is so honorable, like it is such a, it's such a prestigious, um, experience to go and actually serve with the infantry, um, that those who perhaps are like, um, just so knowledgeable about the past and history, they want to involve themselves with, uh, the, 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 
the the truest form of of serv- service, military service, which would be the infantry. Um, and so, for me, I, I scored really well. So they just said they they said you can choose your job. Basically, I couldn't be an officer because to be an officer, you have to have a college degree. Um, but I could be a pilot and I was like, score, uh, I can actually accomplish what I wanted to do as a kid. Now, I, uh, so then I took the initial ASVAB test, but if you're going to be a pilot, you have to take another test, which I think now they call it SWIFT before it was, uh, some other acronym military is full of those. Um, and I passed that. So I was able, I was like, I had everything in line to become a helicopter pilot and I took my medical exam and passed that. So as I go into the recruiter station to go and sign the papers to go become a, a army pilot, they, the, the recruiter tells me, uh, Hey, so I know you passed everything, but the army just like reached their cap for pilots. So you can choose anything else. Wow. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like in my mind, I've been telling everybody I'm leaving for the army. I'm, I'm going to go and be a pilot. And, uh, but that, that was off the table. So what I ended up choosing, um, was a combat medic and the combat medic in my mind seemed like really cool. Like I used to watch saving private Ryan and, and, and were formally, it had just absolutely terrified me The you know, the beach of Normandy scene. Uh, I, I kind of thought like, I don't know. I went from, I went from wanting to stay as far away as possible from combat to, to maybe, maybe having that interest in experiencing it and saying, if I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve to the fullest. I will either be infantry or I'll be a, a combat medic. And did so anybody, did anybody at that point say to you, listen, son, let me just prepare you for what you're going to be seeing as a combat medic. Um, well, I think, I think I kind of could assume it, um, just as much as you or any of the listeners can, I mean, take a pause and let's say you're a, all of a sudden a combat medic. What do you do? Well, it's obvious you treat people in battle when they're injured and the bullets are still flying. And so now that said, the majority of individuals, so the number one, the, the largest branch of the United States army is the infantry that it, that is the meat and potatoes of the military. Everything else is support roles, whether you're uh, logistics, whether you're ordnance, whether you're a tanker, whether you're uh, a medic, whether regardless of what you are, everything is in support of the, of the infantry. So the biggest, the biggest job uh, population wise in the army is the infantry. The second biggest is the combat medics. And so that if, if, if you have a lot of combat medics for, uh, then, then that means that, uh, there must be a lot of people getting hurt. Um, now the, the, there's, that was my expectation. That was my expectation, but the reality hindsight's 2020 and like looking back at, at, at combat medics, the vast majority of, uh, individuals who served as combat medics will never see combat. Just as much as the the majority of infantrymen who are uh, will never see see combat, like they will sign up for four six years whatever it may be, they may even deploy to uh, a combat theater like Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, but 
but they just aren't selected or they're not part of the group that goes and actually like infiltrates. They're not on the offensive. They're just, you know, inside the wire, as they say. Um, once again, providing support to whether it's the special ops, the Rangers, the Marine recon, whatever it may be, the, the, the bulk of the deployed force doesn't actually engage in combat. And so same thing with medics, right? So I'm signed up as a combat medic and there's a really good chance that I will just get us get assigned to the hospital. So there's a lot more combat medics serving in hospitals than there are serving in combat. And, and, uh, those are like stateside, we call them garrison. Um, there's two phases of, of military. You're either in garrison, which means you're back home or you're deployed, um, to wherever you may be. So ultimately unbeknownst to me, there was like a super small chance that I would actually see combat. And looking back, everybody out of the hundreds of students in my combat medic school, uh, who who went on to their units, never saw combat. Some of them didn't even deploy, and uh, in a in a crazy in a I, I suppose everything lined up is what I mean to say, where I got to like the thick of it, the thick of combat, and it was just it's just like I don't know who makes these decisions, <laughs> you know, it's just some administration. Maybe it's like a a a a, a like where they draw names out of a hat and it's like, boom, you're going. Uh, and it's like, whoa, uh, it felt kind of crazy. They're using yeah. a randomizer now. Yeah, 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 seriously. Uh, this poor guy got his name drawn to be uh, on the front lines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so you're out there. And yeah. what's what's been the toughest things, I, I guess, is, is the next question or... What are you comfortable talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it's been a while, right? Um, have you have you compartmentalized a lot of stuff? I think so. I think I think um, I think I have, and the reason that I believe that I have is because the thought of it. Sometimes when I like, sometimes I'll be sitting there just in silence, um, and I feel this like uh, pressure, I suppose, build in my chest. Um, maybe maybe it's like kind of felt in my lungs like i need to take a breath or something like that it's it's anxiety ultimately is what it is um and uh but rewinding just a little bit um when i graduated from combat medic school then they come around with your orders and they they you know they just everybody's sitting in a room and they hand you the piece of paper part of me was really hoping that i would get someplace cool like Fort Carson, Colorado. I mean, I'm, I'm an outdoorsy guy. Like I would love that. Or Wiesbaden, Germany. What an experience that would be. Or Fort Ord, California. Beautiful. But my name gets called and, and I get on my orders, Fort Leonard with Missouri, which I thought was a joke. <laughs> I was pissed <laughs> because I had just come from Fort Leonard with Missouri for basic training and then went to San Antonio, Texas for medic training. So then all of a sudden I see that I'm going back and I was pretty disappointed, uh, you know, right out the gate. But, uh, well, other people were getting assigned to hospitals and things like that. Mine was my, my orders were, were, uh, put me with a, uh, sapper company, which there's in, in the army on your uniform. Sometimes there's uh, certain identifiers or, or tabs 
like you'll hear of a ranger tab that somebody has on their shoulder uh, telling everybody they're an army ranger. Another one, a little less uh, well-known, is the sappers. And um, sappers are essentially like rangers, except they're trained in explosives. And so uh, the number one, the number, the deadliest job in the entire military is or was during the war route clearance and so i got assigned to a route clearance unit it the, like seriously it's it was it was kind of crazy and i remember telling my parents and being like i'm going with the uh, combat engineers the sapper company we're going to go to afghanistan in six months uh to do route clearance and so basically what route clearance is is so so like as i as i'm informed this i still don't know because there's so many like different jobs in the military all I know is that the number one killer of soldiers in the United States military is roadside bombs, IEDs. Um, and route clearance's job is to go and clear the route of these explosive devices, but they are always hitting them, always hitting them. And then once they get hit by them, they are ambushed and it's crazy. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a wild thing. And so anyways, um, leading up to it, I think I was pretty, I was still a little bit gung ho. I would, I would kind of reflect in moments of silence and think, wow, this is a, this is, I hope I don't die, (laughs) you know, like really, um, how I, I would feel like this is a death sentence in some ways, but I'm, I signed up to do this. I'm going to go to do this and I'll put my faith where it needs to be and hope I come home. Yeah. And cross, cross your fingers. How do you, knowing what it is, how do you sleep knowing you're going to, even the guys that you're working with, that you're there to clean them up if anything should happen? Oh, uh, extreme fatigue, I think, is what ultimately drives you to sleep. <laughs> you know, like, um, anyways, yeah, so I mean, I, 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 there were sleepless nights. And then, but for the most part, there was also a combination of excitement. You know, I'm 18, no, 19 years old, maybe 20. I don't know. I, yeah, right. I was twenty. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I was I was eighteen when I signed up, nineteen when I completed the medical training, and then I arrived to my unit, and I'm twenty, and uh, end up having my twenty-first birthday in Afghanistan. Um, I want, so, I want listeners to take take that in for a second. Well, many people like myself were out trying to put twenty-one shots in their body the night of their twenty-first birthday. You're out there in Afghanistan, and I can't imagine it was anything close to what I endured. Well, no, 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 my, my, came out so wrong in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, you were scared out of your mind. That's yeah. But you have a lot of distractions. I mean, like you, you, you definitely are distracted while you're there and you're there with, with, uh, your band of brothers. And so it, it, it's, if you were there by yourself in complete isolation, it would, you'd probably lose your mind. But it's if we're collectively losing our minds, then we can kind of uh, make the most out of it. But yeah, on my on my twenty first birthday, just on a small forward operating base in Afghanistan, Ghazni Province, which is uh, one of the deadliest places in Afghanistan. Like, so if you do route clearance and then do it in Ghazni Province, like it's it's deadly. Um, I mean, war is deadly. This is this is very very deadly. Uh, and so. Yeah, my 21st birthday, I guess there's some sort of a ritual where you get strapped to a, 
a post. Uh, so I was like duct taped to a post and, and they like put a cigarette in my mouth and I was like, like it was so random, like, but, but I thought it was just me cause I had one of the first birthdays on deployment. And then I found out later that everybody kind of got that, that same exact thing where they grab you and strap you to a post and sing happy birthday. They pull your pants down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's no code reds happening. Uh, Colonel Joseph. Yeah. yeah, you just you just hope that there's no mortar attack when uh when you're strapped to a post with your pants around your ankles. That could go real bad real quick. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, so so uh, it, it it really started to sink in um you know, once once the travel started. I mean, I remember leaving that that night we left it in, like right as the sun was setting from Fort Leonard Wood and um we all got onto these buses that that uh, transported us to a small airport where we got onto a chartered plane that went to like I think North Carolina and then from North Carolina I I think it went to Germany in Germany we finally board a, a military aircraft and from Germany we go to a place called Kyrgyzstan on a uh uh, even a smaller military plane. And the closer we get to the actual location where we're going to be at, like the more uh, small and, and, and personal the the aircraft is that that gets you there. Yeah, there was no there was no movies on that flight, was there? No, 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 movie. <laughs> no peanut, nothing. No, no. Quite a view on the last one, though. The last one was a, a night flight in a, a Chinook with the with the gunner's door in the back open and I got to sit like next to where the door is open and this helicopter is just basically doing what's called nap of the earth flying where it's staying super low so that it's like not detected or if if it doesn't give the Taliban an opportunity to like see you coming from a distance and and of course it's like you, you just have like the faint glow the faint green glow uh you know that you can see around the, the, the pilot's eyes as they navigate in, in total darkness. It's, mm. it was like, so, so it's like, it's, it's bouncing back and forth from fear to whole oh, crap. This is really, this is really cool. Like, but then, then fear comes back and it's like any second, any second, some, some RPG could come and take us out. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's the, yeah, it's 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 multiple feelings happening at one time. Yeah, yeah. So we touched down. We touched down at a place, um, uh, Ghazni Province, uh, Fob Ghazni, Afghanistan, and uh, then you're in the process of of doing the exchange of hands, like the the exchange of of responsibilities from the unit that you're replacing. And they they lost some soldiers, and so you you kind of see them looking absolutely defeated. Uh, as you come in to replace them as you're kind of like, you know, still got a little bit of a smile of it from excitement on your face, maybe a little bit of nerves, the nerves kind of then get a boost. So you're feeling even more nervous and, and then you feel uneasy because you see the look in their, their eyes. Um, so I remember going outside the wire for the first time here I was now officially doing something that the like 99% of soldiers will not do like, like it is seriously, Dave, it is 1% of soldiers that, that go out into combat. Um, so 
just seeing the fob with its with its um, built up. Uh, I forget what they're called. I think Hesco barriers or something like that. They're basically these these um, these thrown together walls that are the thing is filled with sand so that if they shoot a rocket at it, it it'll do its job at stopping it. And then they keep like a little opening, like the gate to get into the the forward operating base. And so I remember like rolling out in these monstrous military vehicles, uh, most commonly known as like MRAPs or mine resistant uh, armor personnel or and, wait, mine resistant. Help me out here. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, 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 if I'm not saying anything right now is because I'm just so deep into what you're saying and listening to you. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's an MRAP. It's an MRAP oh, that, that people. Yeah. I'll believe so, whatever you say. So as a route clearance package, uh, our vehicles are designed with like a V-shape hull. So it's kind of like a boat, right? Like these boats have a V-shape hull as it cuts through the water. So our vehicles that we're in has this very defined V-shape on the bottom of steel so that when a blast goes off, the blast isn't hitting this flat surface and just rocketing you up into the air and killing you from just the the jolt of being launched into the air. We have V-shape holes, which... Um, resist the the uh, explosion the blast wave. Yeah, exactly the blast wave, so that it kind of deflects it off to the sides. Now, these things like there's plenty of photos that I've seen as a combat medic um, to know that they only hold up to a certain amount um, of a blast. Uh, beyond a uh, beyond a certain point, it'll just obliterate even <laughs> even these V shape holes. Uh, as I, as I found out too many times. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but you, you have this sense, this false sense of security. Now, don't get me wrong. Like bullets can just bullets can and did hit the truck like many times. Um, and, and there's, there is a, a sense of comfort. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, once again, you're like, I feel safe. Cause I see these bullets aren't, you can hear them going crack, crack like on the truck uh, as they're shooting at you and then it'll hit the glass and it's like this bulletproof glass. Or it's more like bullet resistant glass. And then when they start using heavier munitions, like if they're using like a 50 cal or something like that, it's putting, it, it, it will spider the glass, right? Like the bullet hits the glass and then it just fra like leaves a spider web of a crack. Um, and then you start to worry even more. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, are there are there moments during these times where you're just thinking, "What the hell am I doing?" Or 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 are you thinking, "This is the day I die. This is yeah, I, I yeah, leave. This is the place I've been put in at this moment in my life." Yeah, I remember. I remember the first day I thought, "I am going to die," like right now, like <laughs> it really scary stuff. Um, and that's why when you were talking about like finding God in a foxhole. Uh, or, or something along those lines. I mean, I think as the saying goes, um, there, there's cer certainly a, a lot of praying that happens that morning. Uh, we were going to take this notorious route Mustang and, uh, man, it was such a beautiful morning too. I mean, Afghanistan, the countryside is can be really beautiful it's just war-torn so we we get assigned uh to go to route mustang and the night before 
you know, ever all of the soldiers meet up in this little wood shack with a projector showing the details of the mission. And we're going in to go and, um, uh, destroy a, uh, a little improvised factory where they're making homemade explosives or the bombs that are killing soldiers all throughout. So it's a pretty important mission. And, uh, I, I always gave my medic brief, like short and sweet. Here's what we need to do. Here's the most likely injuries that people will sustain. It's usually the same thing. Blasts, uh, small arms fire, gunshot wounds. And, uh, yeah. And then I go through and I inspect all of the soldiers, um, CLS bags, which is like a combat lifesaver pack to make sure that they have a tourniquet, that they have hemostatic agents so that the bleeding can, can stop. Well, I haven't like thought of these terms in years. Um, and you know, just gauze, uh, I check my bag, make sure that I have, um, everything I need from the, I think I, I think I carried fentanyl, which is kind of crazy for somebody with such limited medical training, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like comparing to a doctor or those here in the civilian sector who have to have years and years of training to touch these extreme narcotics like fentanyl. But we as combat medics are like, yeah, the doctor's like, yeah, we're not going out there. Uh, here, you take it. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, so that's why they bypass so much of that training that is typically required. And they just give you like the rundown. All right. They get boo-boo. You give them this. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so I just made sure that I would have everything that I needed. And then I'm uh, geared up, ready to go. And then uh, that day... Uh, we set out way before the sun comes up. And by the time that the sun does arrive, we've already been in the vehicles for probably two or three hours. And we're out in this rural village, like near the base of the Himalayas. And, uh, I mean, it's, uh, eerily beautiful and quiet. And the quiet is the thing that is so scary. It's kind of like you're sitting there in the peace and quiet in this tranquil landscape. And then you realize, oh my God, it's so quiet in this village. Like people, people are usually up and starting their day. Uh, but things are not as usual. It's eerily quiet. And so I'm sitting there in the truck as we're making our way through this, this village. And there's a field where there's a mother and her children, uh, with a donkey pulling a cart and they're harvesting something. And they're the only ones out there. And, uh, I'm just watching them kind of daydreaming, thinking, think, I, I think, I think I, if I remember correctly, I was just like in my head thinking, just reflecting probably about home. And as I'm watching them, all of a sudden they are just like, they disappear into, uh, an explosion and there's dust and they're just like gone. Like, and, uh, all of a sudden the radios, like we're all wearing headsets where we can hear the exchange of, of conversation in, in, in the, the headsets throughout all of the, the convoy. Um, and people are trying to call it out direction, things like that. Where, where did that blast come from, etc. cetera. And I, there I was, I was like staring right at it and it was only, it was only probably a hundred feet away. Right. And then as they're trying to figure out what the hell that was, there's another one, boom, on the other side of the truck. 
And then like seconds later, it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And then you just, and it's like explosions are going off like all around our convoy, but they're not, they're not, they're not hitting us at this time. So you put two and two together and you realize these explosions are being lobbed at us from a distance. Mortars. We're taking what's called IDF or indirect fire. Uh, mortars are indirect fire because it's not like a, you know, point at it and it hits the object. They have to kind of dial it in slowly. And so they're getting closer and closer and closer to our actual trucks. And then now at this point, my head is just like swiveling all over. Like, where's the next one coming from? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And you have this fear, like the next one's going to hit the next one. Like is just going to take me out. And I'm looking out the window and now not only are people, you can hear the panic in the soldiers' voices in, in your headset, your friends, you, you recognize their voices and you're like, oh my God, they're really scared. They're usually not scared. Now they're scared and it makes you uh, more scared. The tree line, there was this tree line off in the distance and it was shaded like the way that the sun was uh, hitting it. The sun was hitting it from behind. So it was kind of like in the shadows, anything below the canopy was in the shadows. And I'm watching this tree line and all of a sudden you just start seeing like these fireflies, these sparks, like sparklers going off, but it's not sparklers. It's, it's small arms fire. So now they're lobbing mortars at us and they're shooting, um, their AK 47s and other things. And, and for me inside the truck, once again, I don't have the fear that these bullets, I, I do fear the bombs. I do fear the mortars. I don't fear the bullets, but the guys, the guys in the turrets were terrified. Like they're, they point their guns, their 50 calibers, uh, or their Mark 19s or whatever it is that they have mounted up onto the top of the truck. And they're, they swiveled the turret around in the direction of fire, but they're not aiming at what they're pointing at because the bullets are now pinging off the truck. And so they're crouched down behind the the, they call it a, I forget what they call it. I think they call it like a chicken, a chicken shield or something like that. But anyways, there's like this little shield that they hide behind. And, uh, yeah. Now what makes, what makes route clearance so challenging? Well, for me, there's nothing I can do. I'm only medical support right there with them. I'm like an enemy. I'm an, I'm a non-combatant. Like I am not engaging with the enemy by, by Geneva convention law. Like I'm just there for when somebody gets really hurt, but yeah. So, so I just have to cross my fingers essentially, but I do know how the mission operates because I've been present for every mission briefing. So the, the natural tendency in an, in a situation like that, if, if imagine you're driving your car and somebody's, you know, lobbing mortars and shooting at you, what are you going to do? What do you, what would you do? What would your normal response be? Well, not to sound like a complete and total coward, I would run. Of course, that's a, that's the exact answer. You would run. You would you would put the pedal to the metal and you'd get out of there. Now, the enemy is smarter than we give credit, right? So sometimes they're just lobbing. They know they might miss. I mean, their intent is to hit you, but them shooting at you and lobbing bombs at you could is is sometimes intended to make you uh, pick up your pace and not see what's in front of you, like leading you into the trap or a a huge, it could be a mo monstrous roadside bomb 
IED that they are just trying to not let you see the triggering device because you're so distracted with everything else going on that they're funneling you right into the big, the actual trap. So we know and we train that in spite of whatever's happening, however chaotic it may be, you maintain your pace, which was a painful, like three miles per hour. So you're just sitting in it. You're just sitting in this. Yeah, you can't, you can't break the convoy apart. And, and, and the lead person knows not to run into the bomb. So you're just kind of like sitting in it. And uh, in that moment, like I reached a point where I was like, I'm going to die today. Uh, yeah, but it, eventually we turn this corner. Like we go onto this almost like alleyway between these two Kalat walls, which Kalat is a term referred to as like, like a clay. It's like manure and grass. It's, it's like your very typical Afghani building material. And, um, we turn the corner and now people are, uh, shooting at us from the rooftop, like from, from on top of these, these mud huts basically. And, um, I, 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 I'm facing one direction and I see one person right beside the truck. Uh, I mean this wall right beside the truck, this guy pops up with an RPG and he points it. I swear to, I swear to you, it felt like we locked eyes and, and, and I'm like just looking at him through the window and he fires this RPG and, uh, it hits the truck and it, it's just like this bright light and massive concussion. And I'm like, just so hate, like disoriented and When, when thing, when I start to cut, like when things start to come back, uh, and I, I, I once again see that the other guys in the truck are just like coming to as well. I look out the window and this big tank, uh, this like fleet of Polish, Polish military, like just almost like breaks through this wall in this like seriously cinematic ending, it felt like, and they have this gun called a 30 mic mic on these up armored vehicles. And it's just like, bow, 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 bow. And they're shooting back at the enemy. And then you just start to see them retreating. And it's like, Oh my God. And you're so shaky. And like, what the hell, you know, you're, it, it, it's uh crazy. And they feel like they're the heroes of the day that, that came in to, to rescue the route clearance unit. Um, but yeah, yeah. To answer your question, that was a super long winded. Yes. I've felt on more than one occasion, the, the feeling that death is knocking at your door. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm, I'm hoping that's the worst you've ever seen or been involved in. Uh, yeah, unfortunate. Unfortunately, no. I mean, our, our, uh, I lost three friends, um, in my team and I'll leave the details of, uh, how they lost their life out, but I'll tell you what is 
uh, as challenging, if not more challenging to reflect on is coming home and having their funeral services. I was, I was, uh, medevaced from Afghanistan, broke my back trying to pull a soldier out of a, a vehicle that had found one of those roadside bombs the way you'd never hope to find it. You'd hope you'd find it with the ground pe- ground penetrating radar. We call them GPR um, uh, panels that they have in the front of the convoy. The, this, the front vehicle has uh, a big flat platform extended out in front of it that scans the ground and the hopes is that it will detect a, I, I assume like a more dense piece of earth that would be a bomb. Um, but obviously not everything is a hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, so there, there were so many times, so many times that vehicles in the convoy just got obliterated by, by roadside bombs. Um, in the sound, the sound of a UH 60 black Hawk helicopter coming in, in the sound of like the radio frequency, uh, these sounds are the sounds that don't leave me. Um, the, the, these are the sounds of, of like that I affiliate, affiliate, associate with like death and death and suffering. So like even today I, I live near a military base and I hear that distinct Blackhawk, uh, sound that the rotors make as it's flying overhead. And yeah, all too many times something would happen and then it becomes routine in combat. Like it, I quickly undo my, my, uh, seatbelt, reach for my aid bag, pull open the door, the rear door to jump out and run to whoever is, whichever friend is wounded. Um, and it's, it's tricky as a combat medic, I think emotionally more challenging because, you know, like in an emergency room, it's typically a complete stranger coming in. You don't have this history with them. Um, but my friend who died, one of them, I I was particularly close with one of them who used to come over to my house and we'd hang out. Like we're just kids basically hanging out is 19 years old. It it, are at the, at the barracks and talking about whatever, like I wasn't into hockey, but he loved hockey and I'd listen to him. He's from Boston and he, he's always wearing one of those, uh, Bruins. what's the Bruins? Bru- yeah, there you go. Yeah. He was always wearing a Jersey, uh, from them. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. And so, and so you, as you run up to a vehicle and you see their, um, face, in a way that you're not used to seeing it. It's not just fear. It, it's the scariest thing is when it's a lifeless face. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, like bloodied teeth broken. I don't know. I mean, I think going more into detail would probably be a little, a little too much. So I'll just leave it yeah. with, uh, it's, it's more challenging to work on friends than it is to work on strangers. Um, but going home, um, short time after, uh, uh, one bomb killed like three 
of my friends in back home in the chapel. So I actually got wounded and was medevaced, um, but the, their funerals are like delayed uh, so that the unit can be there. So I, I end up getting medevaced, uh, finally got to go on my Blackhawk ride that I had always wanted, or I, I had always wanted to be the pilot of it. I was now in the back on a litter um, being transported out of theater or out of well out of the immediate combat zone into kind of like the 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 backfield which was Bagram Air Base northern Afghanistan where they carried me uh on the litter to a I think it was like a, a cat scan or M- one of those things and put you in the tube or they scan your body and they find that like my my vertebrae lower vertebrae were, were actually fractured and broken um, th- yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, I was holding, when I broke my back, I was holding a soldier in my arms, uh, my best friend. And he, he looked really messed up and, and we were taking small arms fire from all over when, after the, after his vehicle hit a, hit a bomb and I'm standing up there holding him unresponsive in my arms. And he weighed probably 300 pounds with all of his kit. Like he's a, he's a 200 and something pound guy. And I was pretty strong back then, but I'm like cradling him basically in my arms, trying to pull him out of a, a huge vehicle in the, the, we're probably 10 feet off the ground once I get him up onto the roof and I needed to get him out of fire, like out of, out of harm's way. All of a sudden we started taking, um, small arms fire. And then the company commander tells me that there's another bomb, another bomb right beside the truck, which the Taliban will do. They'll hit the first, the, they'll hit the vehicle with a bomb, but they'll keep a second one close by in, intended for targeting the combat medic, <laughs> which I walked right into that trap. So I'm holding this guy. Then I, I realize because the company commander runs from on t- yells from on top of this hill, He's like, doc, and he's yelling. He's like pointing at, at, at a second bomb that is right beside the truck. And when I see it, I think, oh, got me. And I think, well, my last ditch effort is to just jump off the opposing, the opposite side of the truck with this unresponsive soldier um, before this bomb detonates. And so the fall, when I land, I, I, I break his fall, fortunate for him, um, but I, I absorb it all in my spine mm. and just like... Uh, Eventually, the the our combat unit um, takes out or eliminates basically the the enemy in the surrounding in, in in our in our in our area. Those who were shooting at us, um, and that bomb did never it never went off uh, because once they followed the wire from the second bomb up the hill, they had killed him. They killed the the guy that was holding the trigger to manually detonate it. Uh. So I mean, I, I guess. I wasn't going to figure out like, while I was up there on top of that truck, is this bomb going to go off? Let me take some time to figure this out real quick. You did what you had to do with the information. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. Get to cover. Um, but yeah, so anyways, make it back, uh, to, so, so I get medevaced, uh, that, 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 that night just for time's sake, um, that night didn't end there. The helicopter came in. I got our, I got my other soldiers who were wounded initially on there. My back is broken. They were going to call in a second helicopter. We get ambushed again. Now the helicopter turns around. We end up staying the night, like 
the circling the wagons where everybody's pulling security, basically trying to uh, ward off any <laughs> any more threats. Um, and uh, the next day, I, I didn't get the helicopter right out because the air stayed black or code black, which is just enemy in the area, too, too, too much enemy in the area to bring a helicopter in. On the way back, another vehicle hits a roadside bomb. Um, two vehicles, actually. Two more vehicles hit roadside bombs. Now, like, we're getting extra thin, and we just barely, like, cripple our way, like, like limp our way back onto the forward operating base, where then the guys carried me to our little medical unit, where they had some uh, old-school x-ray machine, and they see something's wrong. It's not very detailed enough to, to know for sure, but they can clearly see there's something wrong in my spine. So then they start up the Blackhawk and then I got to ride in a helicopter, <laughs> a Blackhawk. Finally got it. Not, not the way I wanted to though. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyways, I, I eventually I make it back home and, and have some surgeries on my spine and spend a couple of years in and out of the hospital doing, uh, physical therapy, stuff like that. And, and yeah, uh, long story short, make a full recovery and become the world's greatest paramotor pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that slip in there. <laughs> yeah. I was planning well, making that a part of my introduction, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave it to me. <laughs> what um I think first of all, again, thank you for sharing all that because I, I wasn't expecting everything that you just shared. And I'm shaking inside. I'm shaking with the lack of, of love that our military gets that they rightfully deserve. Um Wow. I mean, as you're saying everything, it's, and I'm sure just like anybody listening to this, they're visualizing everything that you're saying. And I'm sure it's far worse than what, than what, uh, what we're hearing. Uh, like a lot of the men and ladies that come back from combat, you come back with certain things you don't want. One of them is PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. It, it's I, I, look. We could talk forever about PTSD. What have you done to help your own personal case? What other people that are suffering with PTSD? What they can do that they haven't done already? Um. So this will tie into it. The hardest, the hardest thing, much harder than losing the friends and in, in anything I saw in Afghanistan was when I came home and attended the funeral services. There's something about hearing taps. Uh, taps is and and I would get angry like there's this Disney there's like this no one of these like animated movies where I was watching it and like this little bunny rabbit gets run over and they play taps and it and and immediately I I actually felt like pretty frustrated I was like why why are you guys like making a mockery like of this song like this song when you hear it played as as like oh my god the the worst the worst thing ever was sitting in that chapel and they do uh the uh gosh what do they call it the it's when they formation it's like a military formality a missing a missing soldier it's like a missing person thing okay uh, so basically the the unit is standing in formation the the platoon let's say is standing in formation inside the chapel and then the first sergeant will say like uh sergeant vela and i'll say here first sergeant uh, and then they'll say, uh, another person's name and that person will say here first sergeant. And then they'll say, uh, uh, special Skutowski, which is 
one of my friend's names who passed away. And then it'll be dead silent, dead silent in the chapel. Oof. And then he'll say, specialist Stephen Gutowski. And it'll be silent. And then all of a sudden, they'll do the 21 gun salute in the silence. And uh, then the, the trumpet player will play taps as the as the rifles are firing and in the in the atmosphere of this 21 gun salute and taps being played then i hear his mom screaming in pain like crying and to me like in the acoustics of that chapel it is such a horrible feeling as a combat medic it's like the pain of that somebody felt when they died ends relatively quickly but the family like suffers forever they're they're hurting right now and it's been it's been 12 years so there were three more or two more names on that list, almost four. What my one of my really good friends uh is now just paralyzed and he survived the blast. And and he reaches out to me and it's it's hard to talk to him because it it, it sometimes it's challenging to to hear him because his brain has been affected in a way from that blast, the huge blast. Um, yeah, that's, that's certainly the hardest, the hardest thing to live with is knowing that the family is, is hurt. So what I ended up doing for therapy, like from in a therapeutic aspect is I started seeing a counselor and the counselor like asked me if there's something I like to do to distract myself. And I'm also, you know, mind you recovering myself, going to appointments and dealing with a, a ton of pain from, from a lot of nerve damage, but the counselor basically suggested that I find something that I enjoy doing. And I was like, well, I used to weld, I used to do a lot of welding. And so I bought a welding, uh, a welder, a little Lincoln electric from home Depot. And in my garage at night, um, I would weld roses. I just started welding flowers. I don't know. thought it was pretty random. Then I was sitting on these welded flowers and I didn't know what to do with them. So I sent one of them to one of my friends who was killed, to Lieutenant Ivan Lykowicz, uh, his mom. I sent I sent one to his mom, and she was over over overly emotional when I sent it to her because I wrote her a letter just saying, you know, the love that I have for your son, and I'm sure the rest of the unit is just like this flower. It, it's it will never die, like or it'll always be there, and she told her her friends i mean when when you're a mother who loses a kid in combat you start to meet other mothers who have lost their sons uh or daughters mostly sons but uh, in in combat so yes um i then started making lots and lots and lots of metal roses to send off to gold star mothers uh, and, and that became like an, an obsession for years. Um, and it was, it was basically what I used to help, uh, 
help with it, I, I guess, for a lack of better words. Um, and it did. Yeah. Super. That is super nice. Wow. Um, it's hard to end a show like that, <laughs> a podcast like this. But let's let's go back. Thank you so much for sharing all this, as I said. And, you know, later this afternoon where you're thinking, why did I just open up like this to David and this podcast? Maybe like you've never had before. I don't know. Why did I do that? It's because there's people out there, whether they were in the military or not, whether they have family in the military or not, they're going to hear this. They're going to have a humongous, increased, profound respect for you, for our military. I mean, as I've said on, on podcasts before, you know, talking with people that I've known for years, there's things I've I've never knew about them. Of course, all of this stuff I've never, never heard, never known. And my heart is just so open right now to you, to all the military. And um, if we go back to how we started this podcast, we, we talked about suffering and our suffering. We know that suffering produces perseverance, per, perseverance, character, and character hope. And now this afternoon, you get to go and pick up your baby, your babies, yeah. and play with them. And you know, as you were talking a few moments ago, I was thinking to myself, gosh, would it have been easier to lose your life than to live with life seeing all this other stuff, seeing, seeing your buddies going to that chapel, hearing your buddy's mother screaming in the chapel, which would have been easier. Yeah. But I guess that hope is for a better life. The hope is for something more than what I've been given so far. And you have those, that, that hope and that beautiful life and that, those precious babies of yours. Yeah, absolutely. Your wife, your family. Absolutely. And as, as now as an instructor, of something that's amazing, something like like a paramotor. And there's hundreds and hundreds of other things that people can do with their lives as far as teaching and taking people to fulfill their dreams. You get to do that. So, you know, there is a reason some people live and some people don't. You know, in my own family, we're questioning why my 16-year-old sister was taken from us so early in life. We always will. Wow. Right. We just never know. So, so there's that. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I, I'm glad that I was, uh, getting to meet, meet up with you. Of course, you're a friend, uh, a good friend, uh, over, over the years. And, and, and we have met, we have met in person and, yeah. and hung out and, and you made those awesome pizzas for everybody. <laughs> that was did do that. fantastic out in the middle of Wachula, Florida. What a great experience that was. Yes. Um, and I, I do, I really look forward to, to meeting you again. And, and yes, like you said in the beginning of this, we uh, can spend lots of time talking, much longer than intended. Um, and I I wish that I, I could sit and talk all day. But my son, speaking of the kids, we're, we're uh, about to pick him up from school for a little routine doctor's appointment um, and then get him back to school before I hustle over and meet up with a student and, and pursue the other things. And it, it, that basically, so this has been helpful. It's, it's nice to get to, to talk to a friend about this and then return to, uh, life, you know, yeah. say la vie, you know? Thank you again. It, let, let me ask you one other question because, yeah. you know, is there any charitable causes? Like if someone's going, gosh, I, I wish I could reach out. I wish I could give a little bit of myself. Is there any charitable causes that you like to support in regards to everything that you've gone through? 
Um, I I I think that I think that when honestly, honestly, I feel like as far as when it comes to to soldiers, get to know a soldier, and in in and if you feel like it, invest. You can invest in that soldier, and really, it doesn't have to be a soldier. Like I think anybody who who's just you know less fortunate that that rather than sometimes you sometimes organizations can be really beneficial, but I also think that you can be um, just as impactful or more impactful on that individual's life when you take ownership in them rather than just exclusively saying here throwing your money at, at somebody because that can be hard to find, but like just even if you don't have money to throw away, just simply talking to to a soldier or somebody who's who may be hurting or dealing with something, just listening and being there is is more beneficial, I think, than than uh, than than a lot of things. Not I, I can't I can't put my finger on one organization, but but taking taking personal desire to go and help them. I love is, that. I have a, one more question for you. Yeah, I asked. I've asked this, and we've had discussions. Me and Todd Scandred, who I referred to earlier in the podcast, right? About when you go up and you think, you know, for civilians who go up and they see someone wearing a, a you know veteran's hat of some sort or whatever they wherever they served. Do you like when civilians go up to you or other veterans and say thank you for your service? I personally, and I talked about this with on Todd's podcast, that not only do I thank the veteran, I thank the spouse that's with the veteran as well. For that's supporting. that's actually pretty nice. <laughs> and, that's... You know, I don't. You know, running into I just saw one two days ago running into Walmart, and he was on his little electric card, so he didn't really stop much to spend that time yeah. with me. But how do you feel about that? Per- personally, and I think my opinion differs. Is 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 it is appreciated, um, and and it's it's hard to um, say thank you in response. Uh, so, I mean, I, I I do it effortlessly, but it wasn't easy. Uh, initially to to say like you're welcome uh, uh but i think i think if it's when you go beyond like what you're doing when you go beyond a, a simple thank you and you like look them dead in the eyes and you say it with sincerity especially after you you maybe understand the extent of what somebody has gone through um then, then I think it can be really appreciated because maybe that person just wants to to talk. Maybe that person just wants to share with somebody because, especially those World War II ones, they may they're you know they're forgotten, uh, you know Vietnam veterans. They're like they're 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 not very relevant, you know, kids these days. But that's a com- another conversation. But um, no, I think I think I think simply saying thank you, and especially if you say it to their their spouse. I mean, you know hopefully that spouse was a good spouse uh yeah. you know like somebody who who cared for their partner through through that rather than you know because obviously the military can be notorious for um sometimes unfortunately unfaithful individuals so i think if if a, if a wife uh was the backbone of the of the relationship and held down the fort basically then absolutely like she deserves recognition but even even Leandra wasn't in your life when this all happened. Right, she certainly right. deserves thanks for supporting you now and what you go oh, through yeah. years later. So she why is, not? She is the game changer. She, I, I mean, seriously, Dave, like she is uh, insane. It is it is unbelievable to look at my life now compared to where it came from and and, and get to feel like is uh, like this is this is what feels when I see her with our babies. 
it's it's an amazing feeling like and it's like wow all right so let's so i'd like to do this in each episode i did it in the last episode i try to do as often as i can is a call to action for listeners and for myself and yeah. so for this week my call to action to anybody listening is in this next week or if you don't see someone wearing veterans whatever the next veteran you see make sure you go up to them not just say hey thanks for your your service but really somehow connect with that person show yeah, them yeah, they, yeah. don't pop them they're running into walmart and they got right. things to do but do your best you know maybe right. maybe this is the day you see someone uh standing in line at a fast food restaurant and this is the day that you're being called to buy that person their lunch wow right. oh, what a great awesome. <laughs> right so yeah absolutely Another great episode of Beyond the Summit. Uh, Anthony, you are certainly have hit some incredibly high summits in your life and you have continued to go beyond and beyond and beyond. So for that, we appreciate you for your service. I, from the bottom of my heart, my families, we thank you for that as well as all of our art service men and women out there. So appreciate you so much, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I, it was fun as always. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody else, we'll see you next week on Beyond the Summit. Thanks again for, for joining us. Hey everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.